The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Parenting at any age can be tricky. You can have difficult times with the terrible twos and those temper tantrums which can break a parent's heart. Then more complicated situations can arise when trying to parent a teenager. And uh, for my next guest, this is something that she grapples with in a new book entitled What Your Teen Is Trying to Tell You. Author and psychotherapist Stella O'Malley joins me now uh, to talk about this uh, new book. Stella, good morning and welcome. Thank you very much. Now, this is born, obviously, out of your work as a psychotherapist, but also um, in a retrospective look back at your own teens, you were a demonic teen. I was. I think that's one of the reasons why I, I work mostly with teenagers and parents, because I remember what it was like to be a, a pretty intense, wayward teenager. I was when I look back and I was charging around, I was filled with passion, filled with high emotion, kind of like a ping pong ball going this way, going that way. Everything was serious. I held everything really tightly. I was really intense and probably very intimidating, if you follow me. And I I think very intense troubled teenagers are intimidating. Yeah. And I I, I naturally gravitate towards them and I've ended up working an awful lot with them, I think, because I, I kind okay, of empathise. The, the classic explanation was that they are transitioning from childhood to adulthood. They have to become independent of their parents if they're like, go back to Dickensian times. A child is out at work at 16. So they had to transition from being a dependent child, although perhaps even a working child, to being an independent adult. And that's really what's going on. But it's more than that. Oh, yeah, there's loads going on, especially at the moment. There's an extraordinary kind of thing has happened where childhood has become incredibly magical with Legoland and Harry Potter and fairy tales. And we've really created this fabulous childhood for magical childhood for children. And then they hit the brick wall of reality, slam into it, frankly, at around about 12, where they realise the good guys don't always win. It's not about wishing, you know, upon a star. It's not about trying. Sometimes the bullies are very good looking and very popular. And I feel I meet a lot of teenagers around about 13, around about January, February of first year, where they're just going, this is not what I thought. I thought I just had to be good and nice and everybody would <laughs> like me and I'd be good looking because it would shine through. And this is the kind of we've sold them a pup. We've sold them this idea of just try hard enough. And then the bitter pill of reality is kind of thrown at them in their teen years and they're told, deal with it. Yeah. Now, the, the other thing you do in the book is to bring us case studies, which, of course, are anonymized. But there's one case of a girl who goes into uh, the secondary school and one of the big boys, maybe two years ahead, grabs her bottom. Mm. And then suddenly that translates into her sexualizing her way of behavior and imagining that she's popular. And perhaps she is. Yeah, you know what? It's really complex and sophisticated what is being asked of these teenagers before they're sexual themselves. Maybe their body has kind of got ahead of themselves before their mind has, which is really difficult to grapple with, especially for teenage girls who often they're they're more developed than teenage boys. And if an older, which happened with this case study, the older teenage boy saw them, fancied her and her sister, and um, they kind of created this sexualized persona around them. And then the girl kind of lived up to it. Even at home, when yeah. there were no spectators other than her own family. Because up until then, she hadn't been noticed. 
And then suddenly she was noticed for something and she thought, oh, this is what I've got. This, this is what gives me popularity. This is what gives me a way in to life. And so it kind of became her identity. If we kind of impose something on somebody, they'll take it. It's almost like the sports kid or the dance kid. So she became the sexualized kid yeah. and it's happening. We're imposing sex on kids before they're ready and they can't quite... Yeah. Now, you, you, as it. you talk to me, now yeah. you're putting your head around yeah. your head, your hands around your head, like demonstrating it's the brain. Yes. Um, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> as you look at me. And it is about the brain. I mean, you write about the brain yeah. and the teenage brain, how far from the fully developed adult brain it is. It grows very rapidly, mm. but it still doesn't kind of catch up it's quickly amazing. enough. amazing. What happens is it grows a huge amount between childhood and adolescence. Then in adolescence, it complexifies. And so it looks, you know, you look at a teenager teenage person, they can speak very well, they look very well, they look very sophisticated. Their words are often very sophisticated, but their actual thought processes are fairly basic and they're, <clears throat> excuse me, equivalent of playing with half a deck of cards compared to an adult, <laughs> as in their emotional brain is very developed. Their logical, wise, reasonable brain is really underdeveloped. So they, they aren't playing with the cards we're playing with and we expect as much from them. Yeah. Now, you talk about uh, risk taking and sensation seeking behaviour. Why do kids do that? Because the part of the brain that is ability to assess risk in kind of vivid technical or overdeveloped as such is the benefits of risk. And literally, this is biological. This is neuroscience. The the part of the brain that uh, sees the downfall of risk is underdeveloped in teenage years. So they, they cannot see risk in an appropriate way. And then in their mid 20s, it develops and their ability to assess yeah. any given situation but is But it would, uh, I mean, just to take an aside, yeah. that would forgive a lot of things in court. Well, if... You if know, you, a teenager comes yeah. in, has done terrible things, uh, and, uh, you if know, you they say, it's, brain. Me, it's me brain, yeah. Your Honour. Yeah, but if you are a parent and you're looking at your teenager saying, what did you do? Are you mad? Like, what, what... If you went and just YouTubed or looked up a little bit about the teenager brain, you go, I oh, know here... It's not fair. Like they literally have. It's like an unmade cake. You look at it in the oven. It looks very gorgeous. You open it up and it's a mush yeah, of unmade. But, but there was a case only yesterday. A, a girl gave testimony, a victim impact testimony. She lost the sight in one eye because of an attack by a guy. The judge will pass sentence possibly today. He was only 18, you know, and the father saying this is so atypical. But it, can that uh, therefore be a defence that, you know, I was only a teenager? I don't think that would sit well with uh, most people. Yeah, I hear you. And that is a massive question. But it's a very valid question that there has to be some sort of kind of guardrail around when a teenager is making decisions, their ability is stunted. It's not quite developed. It's not the same as a 32 year old making a decision. So pretending that an 18 year old and a 32 year old are the same person because they're both adults. It might be the legal case, but it's not the actual biological scenario within their brains. Um, you have five key steps to help you connect with your teen. And uh, step one, clarification. And you quote a French saying, to comprendre, c'est tout pardonner. Oh. Um, <laughs> to understand all is to forgive all. And I'm thinking, OK, but that might apply to a teenager. It doesn't apply to Putin. Understand him and you forgive him. Well, no. he might be harder than me. Hang on a second. Often, if you can understand the person, imagine if you look at anybody's brain and you were to look at their life circumstances and if you realise, for example, let's say if you were to look at a sociopath or a psychopath and you realise their ability 
I'm going to be really <laughs> hit for this one. But their ability to empathise, they don't have it. It's like being colourblind. They don't actually have it in them. So you'll yeah. understand what's going on. Do you legislate against it? Yes. Do you act against it? Yes. But do you understand why it's happening? Yes. Because mm. you talk about empathy as uh, the second step and then solidarity, the third step. Uh, step. I'm with you all the way, mm. almost irrespective of what you've done. Authenticity and uh, depth. Uh, these are the, the steps. Now, the reason I'm flashing through this is because it's such a brilliant book. I mean, ah. people really need uh, to use this uh, to, to kind of absorb it and so on. Um, I went straight to a section, though, Drama queens and addiction to drama. And you say a boy or a girl yeah. can be a drama queen. Without a doubt. And when somebody's, a, you know, kind of is a kind of drama addict, the parent needs to figure out what are they getting from it? There's some sort of need. It might be attention. It might be that they kind of are trying to kind of resolve conflict. It could be. There's a few different reasons why it could be. But more than anything, if you can figure out why they're looking for their, the drama you'd be better off rather than going straight into the latest drama and always following the latest drama. What I'm trying to do with the book is kind of hopefully because I go through an awful lot of different issues and try and get to the root of why it could be happening. Let's say drinking or vaping or whatever. Yeah. And I'm trying to say, you know, yeah, we, we, we tend to pathologise problems and send teenagers off to psychotherapists like myself. But it would be lovely if parents could flick through it just like you did in the baby years or childhood yeah. and say, well, let me read up a bit about vaping. Let me read up a bit about body image before we go yeah. straight to I the I mean, therapist. one of the problems, if you kind of take this understanding of my child is smoking, let's forget about vaping for the moment. Let's say old fashioned smoking. I mean, that can be the development of a lifelong and very damaging habit. So a parent with a sense of responsibility say, I've got to try and stop my yeah. kid doing this yeah. because this is this is going to kill them when they're 50. Yeah. And the question is how? Because just saying no hasn't worked. So what you have to figure out, is it a need for belonging? Are they trying to be sophisticated? Is this some sort of trying to entry group into a friendship group? Are they trying to rebel? And would you be able to give them better ways to rebel? You know what I mean? You have to figure out why they're doing it and you'll mm. get further than just don't do that. Because yeah. that now, doesn't work. The, the book uh, covers all sorts of issues. You mentioned it's very comprehensive. You talk about uh, gender identity and gender roles and gender dysphoria, which is a topic that I don't think you would have been writing about 10 years ago. Oh, no, God, no, it just it just wasn't. It came in like a rocket yeah. and it's it's impacting an awful lot of different people. Uh, so, as I say, it's such a it's a, a big fat tome. Uh, it's published uh, by Gill. It's in every bookstore now, and it's called "What Your Teen Is Trying to Tell You." It's written by uh, Stella O'Malley, and I can recommend it thoroughly. Stella, thank you very much for joining us on the program. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance weekdays at nine a.m. on News Talk.